Good morning, church. There was a young boy who attended an interview. Now, when he went for the interview, he had only one intention. Okay, his intention was to please the panel that takes the interview. So he dressed up so well, he went an hour before the interview, and he was all ready and set for them to call his name. As soon as they called his name, he got inside, and even before the panel said anything, he looked at them and he said, See, I am so happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this interview, and I just want you to know that you're looking at the best candidate. Just seeing his confidence, they were very impressed. So they went straight into the first question. So they asked him the first question, when did India get its independence? And to that he answered, well, it was a slow process. It started in 1945 and eventually happened in 1947. They were impressed by his answer. So then they asked him the second question, so who do you think is the father of this nation? And to that he answered, well, we cannot qualify one person as the father. There are so many people who sacrifice their lives. They were impressed again. So then they asked him the third question. Do you think corruption is the biggest problem in India? And to that he answered, see, I'm not the right person to give you the answer. There's a committee that's been formed and they will come up with the right answer. So they said, thank you, you can leave. So he came out and as soon as he came out, there was another young man who was standing there. But this other young man, it was his first interview and he was really scared. In fact, he didn't even dress up so well. So he went up to this other guy and he said, uh, Bhaiya, could you tell me what happens for this interview? So the other guy said, basically, uh, they ask you some questions and you have to give them answers. So then he asked, Bhaiya, could you tell me what are the questions they ask? He said, see, I cannot tell you what are the questions they ask. So then he was like, okay, then Bhaiya, can you tell me the answers at least? He thought for a while and he said, yeah, sure. So he told all the answers. So this other young man goes in for the interview, knowing all the answers, but not the question. So he gets in and he's really scared. So seeing him scared, they thought, let's start it simple, right? So they asked him the first question. When were you born? And to that he answered, well, it was a slow process. It started in 1945 and eventually happened in 1947. They got They were confused, so they asked him the second question. So, who is your father? And to that he answered, see, we cannot qualify one person as the father. There are so many people who sacrifice their life. They got so mad and they asked, are you crazy? And to that he answered, see, I'm not the right person to give you the answer. There's a committee that's been formed and they will come up with the right answer. You see, many times uh, we are like this other boy, right? Uh, We are all running after answers, not really knowing the questions. Or really we are running after this this life that we are living in, not really thinking through how should we really live in this world. You know, God demands His people to be obedient to His word. God demands His people to live according to His word. God demands His people to listen to His voice. Let me ask you this question. In your day-to-day life, do you care about the questions that God asks you through His Word? Questions that God is, every time He's constantly asking you through His people and through His Word. Do we care about that? Do we wake up every day asking God, what do you want me to learn today? What do you want to speak to me? Do we have such questions? Or are we just living our life in this flow, just thinking, you know, just showing up on church every Sunday, just doing all the good deeds will be enough. 
This morning, I want to draw attention to a sermon preached by one of the greatest preachers, Jesus Christ himself. This sermon is one of the longest sermons ever recorded in the Bible. Okay, it's one of the best sermons ever. If you ever want to examine your spiritual walk, this is where you need to go. Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And this morning, what we're really going to look from Matthew chapter 7 to Matthew chapter 12 is really a question. What about your log? What about your log? We'll see what it means in a bit. But I just want to give you a context, okay? What really we're going to look into, okay? Jesus calls primarily his disciples or his followers to a mountain and he teaches them. Okay, he teaches them what a true follower of God looks like on earth. What should we look like? Okay, the reason for that is because there were so many people who called themselves as followers of God who lived during this period and they are known as the Pharisees. See, Pharisees are not really bad people when you look from the outside. Okay, uh, if, if I were to put it in our terms, they would show up on church every Sunday. They would probably be the person who would stand up and share a thought or come in front and teach. They would go to any distance to teach the word of God or to be um, for any Bible studies or anything, you name it. Okay, They would be there. They're the good people on the outset. Okay, But this is what Jesus had to say about the Pharisees. If you look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, this is what Jesus says. And pretty much the the crust of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Your righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. You see, the problem with the Pharisees, if you look in Matthew chapter 23, the problem is they knew the laws. They knew everything, but it was all here. Nothing in their heart. Okay, in other words, on the outward appearance, they looked good, but they had no change inside their heart. There was a problem with the Pharisees. Okay, they were clean. If you read Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 to 27, you see that they were clean on the outside, but not the inside. Jesus calls them hypocrites. They thought that their deeds were what made them right before God. They thought their deeds or the things that they do is what made them better Christians than others. So Jesus is teaching his followers that listen, that is not how a follower of God should look like. A follower of God is someone who reflects what the Lord is doing inside. So that's what he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He starts off by talking on the perspective on self when he talks about the Beatitudes. Then he talks about how, how should our perspective be, um, how should we live in this world when he talks about the salt and the light. Then he talks about the word of God. He says the word of God is immutable, it's unchangeable. Then he goes on to speak about holiness. He, he tells that it's the inward commitment that matters the most. He says that if you look at someone lustfully, you don't have to sleep with them to commit adultery. But even if you just look with your heart with the wrong intention, you've already committed adultery. You don't have to take a knife and stab somebody. But in your heart, if you have anger against somebody, you've already committed murder, Right? That's what Jesus talks. Then he goes on to talk. He, he speaks about 
the religious activity about giving about praying about fasting then he talks about our perspective on money possession material goods and then he comes to matthew chapter 7 where he talks about what should be our relationship with the people that we live with what should be our relationship with the people that we live in now uh, shawn read this passage for us um and the very first verse judge not that you be not judged you don't have to be a christian to know this verse okay everybody in this world knows this verse in fact this is the most quoted verse by unbelievers the truth is even believers or whether you're a believer or an unbeliever many of us don't really understand what the meaning of this verse really is we misuse this is the most misused verse in the bible do not judge so that you won't be judged firstly i just want to show you something uh oh sorry can you go back abhijit no abhijit okay so in every slide that you see where i'll be showing the verses just i just want to tell up up front you will see something written down conditional imperative for this verse it's basically the structure of this passage okay so i wish i had time to explain all that but we're not going to do that basically conditional imperative means it's a commandment judge not is a commandment or a prohibition that has a condition so judge not it's a prohibition and the condition is if you judge you will be judged okay so that's that's what so every verse you will find the structure going forward but here we go judge not so that you won't be judged judge not now um this is a word uh, that is used translated 15 different times in the new testament judge okay in this passage when jesus talks about judge not what he doesn't mean is that we shouldn't discriminate between evil and truth or discern between evil and truth that's not what jesus is talking about what jesus is talking about in this particular verse is don't condemn don't judge anybody with a hypocritical attitude don't criticize somebody that is what jesus is saying don't criticize somebody with a hypocritical mind and part of the reason why you shouldn't do that is the second part that you be not judged because you are not ultimately the final court you are not god see every time we criticize every time we condemn every time we judge others you see we take the place of god we are not god right we are none of us are god we don't have the final say we are not the final court god is so he's reminding them in a way that you're not supposed to judge because you're not really god and the second reason why we shouldn't judge others or condemn or criticize others is simply because by criticizing somebody you can never change them you can never change anybody by criticizing them how do i know that it's very simple choice let me ask you this question be honest don't raise your hand when was the last time any of you changed anything in your life when somebody criticized you when somebody condemned you when somebody said you need to change something in your life with a hypocritical attitude when when was the last time we changed something in our lives you see when somebody condemns us when somebody criticizes us it never produces a heart to change it produces a heart full of irritation right it annoys us we get angry the fact of the matter is very simple church a judgmental attitude never produces change in anybody a judgment latitude never produces a change in anybody and jesus goes on to explain verse 
in verse 2, he says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's explaining what he just said in verse 1. See, in other words, God is going to evaluate you on the basis of your knowledge and the light that you say you know. When you say that you can judge somebody based off this, he is, God is going to judge you based off that. And the sobering reality is, there, is this that... Uh, None of us, we all know that none of us will stand right before God. Because we all have shortcomings. We all have issues, right? And that is what Jesus goes on to illustrate in verses 3 and 4. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? So the brother in this verse refers to believers, okay, followers of God. So now your brother has a speck in his eye, but you have a log in your eye, okay? Now, I don't know if anybody has seen anyone with a log in their eye. Has anyone seen anyone with a log? I mean, the closest you will see crazy things is during Halloween in US, but I've not seen anybody with a log in their eye. I tried to get a log. In fact, I cut a log and I kept home this morning because I was running, I forgot to bring it. Therefore, I'm just going to try and adjust with this water bottle. <laughs> okay, just imagine. Okay, this is a log. I know it doesn't look like a log, but just imagine. This is a log. Imagine you have a log in your eye and your brother has a speck in his eye. Simple question. When you have a log in your eye, can you see your brother's speck in his eye? Huh? No. Why? Okay, too many answers. <laughs> because you cannot see clearly, right? It shuts your vision, right? But why would Jesus say that when you have a log in your eye, you see the speck in your brother's eye, right? I, see, I, I think this is the reason. Okay? I want you to look at me carefully. The only way you can see the speck in your brother's eye is by going around your log or ignoring the log or pushing this log aside to look into the lives of other believers and seeing the speck in their life. And church, let us be honest. Isn't this what we all love to do? Don't we all love to ignore our sins, ignore the problems in our life, just push it aside, and then look into a brother's life and say, oh, did you see that brother? Did you see that sister? Did you see what they did? Because by ignoring or pushing away the logs in our life, we feel good, right? We feel good that we are much better than, better than them. You know, our sins are not as worse as their sin, right? We all love to do that. So Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, See, the, the, the problem is not that you have a desire to help your brother. That is a good desire. You should help your brother. But the problem is when you are not taking care of the log in your eye. When you're not taking care of the log in your eye. So the main point, one of the main points for the sermon this morning is this. Changing others begins with changing yourself. Changing others begins with changing yourself. It begins by taking out the log that is in your eye. By taking care of the sins in your life. You cannot change somebody by just going up to them and criticizing them, but by living a changed life. By living a changed life. So then you might ask, how do I change? 
So here are three practical ways we can change. First, acknowledge. Acknowledge that you need a change. Acknowledge the fact that you need a change. Church, let me be honest. Many of us fail in this. How many of us wake up every day and tell ourselves that there is something in my life that needs to be changed? How many of us wake up every day and remind ourselves that we are on an ongoing battle with our sins? You see, these are not things that we think about, right? Only when we come to church, we'll probably take a survey of our entire week, right? Or maybe probably Sunday morning. But the truth is, every day we need to remind ourselves that we are on this, we are on this ongoing battle with our flesh. There are sins in our lives that need to be taken care of. You need to acknowledge that there are sins in your life that need to be taken care of. My college president, Dr. Barry Creamer, once said, you need change. And if you think you don't need change, then that's the first thing you need to change. You think, he says, you need change. And if you think you don't need change, then that's the first thing you need to change. Acknowledge that you need to change. Secondly, we identify what needs to be changed. See, church, I'm not saying that today you need to write down 15 things in your life that need to change. No. But identify that one sin that is ruining your walk with the Lord, that is ruining your life. Identify that one sin. And the third thing you need to do is choose to change that sin. You see, many of us get stuck in that second point. Right? We all know that we are sinful. We all know that this particular sin is what is destroying our life. Then we don't do anything about it. But church, here's the thing. When we choose not to change the sin in our lives, what we don't realize is we're choosing to keep that sin in our life. And when we're choosing to keep that sin in our life, that will destroy us. That will kill us. This is a machine called trash compactor. Okay, a trash compactor is used to take all the trashes in. And when the trashes are in, it compresses it And then it pushes to the side to keep more space for more trash to come in. You see, many times we are like trash compactors. (laughs) We have sins in our life that we need to deal, we need to take care of. There are logs in our life that we need to take care of, which we do not take care of. And we keep it, we push it to the side, allowing more space for more trashes or more sins to come into our lives. So Jesus looks at such people and he says in verse 5, You hypocrite. You hypocrite. It's an application. This is what you need to do. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Jesus in other words is saying, First take care of your trash. (laughs) Before you go to your neighbor's house and say, They need to take care of their trash. So changing someone else begins with changing yourself. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs. Lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack them. Church, I spent about two weeks, more than two weeks actually preparing the sermon. And I'll tell you, this verse really gave me (laughs) a difficult time. Okay, because there's so many things that's happening in this verse. Okay, Jesus talking about the log, uh, the speck, and now he's talking about dog, pigs, and then the pearl. Like you might be thinking, what is really happening? Okay, um, so I want to try and explain what these things represent. But before that, I want to 
tell, be honest with you about something. The crust of this verse is really about how to discriminate who do we take the word and share the word with. Okay? But this morning, that's not the perspective I want to take you through. When I studied this passage, the Lord led me to another important aspect that often we forget from this verse. So I'm going to try and explain this to you. Okay? Firstly, the dog. You see, during the time when Jesus lived, uh, dogs were not pet-like animals that people had in their house. Dogs were uh, wolf-like animals that would walk down the street and bark for food. And when people used to see dogs, they used to throw stones at the dogs. Pigs. You know from the Jewish custom that they were not allowed to touch pigs. In fact, if they, because they're not allowed to touch pigs, they're not allowed to eat pigs, right? I mean, we should definitely have a moment of silence for these people who could not taste bacon. Sorry for them, right? <laughs> but here's what I want you to understand. This dogs and the pigs really represents unbelievers. Unbelievers, which is a contrast to brothers that we saw in verse 3. Believers, okay? They are unbelievers. And then comes the word, the pearl, right? What is this pearl representing? In Matthew chapter uh, 13 and verse 45 to 46, we see that this pearl is referred to as the kingdom of God or the message of the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God over all creation. God is, God is the king of everyone and anyone in and through Christ Jesus. And we understand from Matthew chapter 4 and 24 that the kingdom of God is closely related to the gospel. Without the gospel, you are not part of the kingdom of God. Without Christ reigning in your life, you are not part of the kingdom of God. So keeping this in mind, the unbelievers and the pearl, let's look at verse 6 again. Do not give dogs what is holy. Okay? Do not share the word of God or the gospel to unbelievers. Do not throw your pearls before the swines. Do not share the life-changing message of the rule and reign of God to unbelievers. What? I mean, what is Jesus saying? Why would Jesus even make such a statement? I mean, Jesus is the one who said, go and make disciples of all nations. Why would Jesus make such a statement? Church, if you are with me from the beginning, based on the context, I think Jesus is really trying to show something very important. I want you to help me here. Who do you think is the most important, or, or what do you think is the most important um, character or thing in this particular verse? Is it the, the dog? Is it the pig? Is it the, the, the pearl? Is it what is holy? Or is it the person who throws it? What is holy? The person who throws it. I told you, the way that God was leading me in this passage was basically from that perspective. Based on the context, Jesus looking at the disciples saying, do not throw. Okay? And I think part of the reason why Jesus is doing that or why Jesus is really helping or what Jesus is trying to tell them is this. If you are not being changed by the message you are going to share, then there is no point or there is no business in asking others to embrace the gospel. If you are not going to be changed, if there is no change in your life, in other words, when you tell your friends or other people that Jesus can change your life, believe in the gospel and God can change your life when 
you don't live that changed life, there is no point throwing it. There is no point sharing it. So here comes the second main point. Sharing the gospel effectively begins with living a changed life. Sharing the gospel effectively begins by living a changed life. Church, I want to... I want to emphasize this. You see, if you look at the context, see, there were a lot of uh, Pharisees. You know, we said they were like Bible teachers. All they did was they went around condemning people, criticizing them because they were not good enough. It was not because of their sin, but because those people didn't match up to the standard of the, the lives that Pharisee lived. Okay, they always condemned them. They looked down on them. But the problem was the word of God, the laws that they knew was not changing their life. There is no point in sharing the gospel, church, if you are not being transformed by the gospel in itself. See, I'm not asking you to live a perfect life. Don't misunderstand me. But what I'm trying to say is to point people effectively to God, we need to start living gospel transformed life in order to share the gospel effectively we need to be first living that gospel transformed life and jesus kind of summarizes verses 1 to 6 in verse 12 when he says so whatever you wish that others would do to you do also to them for this is the law you know whatever you wish you want others to do you need to do that first in your life church here's i want to ask you this question Imagine you have trash in your house and it stinks. Okay? Imagine you have trash in your house and it stinks. And you going around to, uh, going around to other houses and telling your neighbors, hey, you need to take care of your trash. Is that a wise idea? Why? Because there is trash in your, li- in your house that you need to take care of. And that trash in your house or that, that, that trash that is stinking in your house gives a bad image about you yourself itself. Right? So when you call yourself Christians and when you go to your workplaces or your colleges and you tell that you're a Christian and you don't live according to the gospel, according to the word of God, then your friends, when they hear, when you tell them that you should believe in Jesus, they will trample this message under their foot. Like the swines. Sharing the gospel effectively begins with changing yourself. But here's the thing, church. Can we change ourselves? Do we have the power to change ourselves? This morning, you know, um, last night, I usually try to finish preparing everything a few days back, and I did that. But last night, after I came home, after um, visiting somebody, I was, I was really uh, wrestling with the sermon. Like, I, I was really struggling. I slept really late. Um, and I, I was just praying and seeking God and asking God if this is really what He wanted me to preach because for me at least this has been such a powerful lesson over the last two weeks and I've been going through this past and asking God is this really what you want me to speak and this morning through the worship God reminded me this is exactly what you need to teach right because what we've been learning throughout our worship is simple we really don't have the strength to change ourselves we don't so what do we do changing ourselves or changing yourself begins with asking God to help us change. That's the first step we need to do. Many of us seated here would probably go home and think of 15 or 20 steps to do to live a changed life. It's good. We need practical ways to live a changed life. But that begins with us going 
to God. It is only through God, only through Christ Jesus, we have victory over sin. There is no other way you can take the logs out of your life. There is no other way you can change your life. The very definition of change comes through Christ Jesus. And transformation happens only when we believe in Christ Jesus. Changing ourselves doesn't begin with self-help, but it begins with God's help. It begins with God's help. Verses 7, though this is specifically talking about prayer, verses 7 to 11, I just want to take the principles out of it. Verses 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So based on what we've been talking, what are we going to ask for? Ask that God would help change our lives. Ask God that he would help take out the logs from our life. And Jesus is saying, don't just ask, seek, be persistent. Keep knocking at the door of the Lord. Church, when was the last time you kept knocking at the door of the Lord for your sins? When was the last time? When did, when did you go on your knees crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm struggling with this sin. I need your help. And what Jesus is really trying to do is through this verse is really showing us who this God is and how good he is. Look at verse 8, okay? This, this is what Jesus says. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. That's an explanation of verse 7. Then in verse 9 and 10, he illustrates. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? See, no dad in their right mind would ever do that right how many of your parents here how many are you confused how many of you okay how many of you are married and decide to be parents one day was a very troubling question (laughs) sorry here's the thing if you're a parent and if your children messes up okay you catch your children doing sin of course you will discipline them right but will you ever kick them out of your house yes no. Will you ever condemn them? What will you do? You will help them. Right? You will help them come out of it. Right? If you as a parent would do that, what about God? What about God? See, our God is a good God. Okay, He hates sin. We know this. From morning we've been reminded of this truth. He is holy. He's pure. There is no sin in him. He hates sin. And when he sees his children struggling in sin, God is not just going to sit back and be like, okay, you know what? You just go and live like that and I'm going to destroy you. No, that's not what God would do. He wants to help us. But we need to repent. We need to go before God. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to seek him. Church, why do we struggle to run to God when we struggle in our sins? Why is God the last person we run to? Why isn't he the first person we go to when we struggle in sin? See, our God is a good God. He loves us. And that is what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 11. He says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Church, God loves you. He's crazy about you. So run to him. When you are struggling in sin, if there are logs in your life that you need to take care of, run to God. 
Maybe some of your logs are way too many. You have accumulated a lot of trash, a lot of sin in your life and it's just too much for you to take care of. You need help. You see, I, I, I believe that there is a particular reason why Jesus gives this illustration of the log in the story. Okay, Because if something happens to your eye, you know, with our own strength, we cannot really do anything, right? We don't have the strength to really take it out because we cannot even see in the first place. It's really difficult. And I think the point why Jesus is doing this is because to really show us that you don't have the strength. You need another hand to come help take this log out of your eye. And that is God. And that is Christ Jesus. God is willing to help us. God is ready to help us. But we need to run to God. Changing ourselves begins with asking God to help us change. It doesn't begin with us trying many ways to change, but running to God to help us change. And God best displayed this through Christ Jesus. Right? We read this morning that we were, we, we, we mentioned this morning that we were dead in our sins. Right? We did not have the strength to fight this battle. We could not keep the laws. We could not follow the laws. None of us could. We did not have the power to fight sin. And God helped us, saw our state and sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. And through that we have victory over sin. But church, I want to make this statement. If there is anyone seated here who have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. You might be struggling so much to change your life. There is so much of trashes in your life that you don't really know what to do. Even in your state, I just want you to, I want to tell you that God loves you. And this morning you are here not by chance because God wanted you to hear this. God wants to know that you cannot take the log out of your eye, but he can help you. And he can help you through his son, Jesus Christ. So put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Put your trust in the gospel and he will save you. And for those of us who are believers, we need to examine ourselves, church. We need to examine ourselves if we go on our knees crying out to the Lord for help when we struggle with sins in our life. Greg Gilbert, in his book called What is the Gospel, says, it is the cross alone that truly deals once and for all with sin. It is the cross alone that truly deals once and for all with sin. And it is the cross that makes it possible for humans to be included in God's perfect kingdom once for all. It is only the cross. Church, we need to be on the foot of the cross. That's the only way we can find or change our lives. That's the only way we can live a transformed life. By the gospel. By the gospel. Here are some questions for us to consider. Do we often find ourselves judgmental in our Christian life? Are we someone quick to judge others, to condemn others in our day-to-day life? Do we realize the truth that it is a commandment of God that we shouldn't judge others with a hypocritical mind? Condemning them. We are not supposed to do that. We cannot change anyone by condemning them. Rather, we minister to them by loving them, helping them, and praying for them. 
That's what Jesus did for us, right? He prayed for us. He loved us and he helped us. And that is how we change others too. What about your lock, church? What about your lock? Are we going to take our sins seriously? Are we hiding? Are we compressing? Are we ignoring our sins? Or do we take our sins seriously? All of us have logs in our lives. And we need to take care of our logs. Every day. Every day. Do we pray for help to God when we struggle with our sins? Do you pray about your sins to God? Church, I want to encourage you this morning from what we have learned that your outlook should really begin with a self-examination of your heart. And when you do a self-examination of your heart, you should really be on your knees looking to God because help comes from God and nowhere else. May God help us. May God change our lives so that it will impact the lives of many other people around us. Changing others begins with changing yourself. Sharing the gospel effectively begins with changing yourself. But changing yourself begins with asking God to help you change. Let's pray. Father, you have heard our heart's desire for this prayer and I want to Father, begin this prayer by just praising you for who you are. You're perfectly holy, pure, high, lifted, lifted up God above all temptations and all sin. You're that kind of a God. And Father, what an honor to be in your presence. Father, what an honor to call unto your name this moment. Father, we praise you for you are an infinite God of knowledge and infinite in power, and infinite in goodness. We are here because of your goodness. We don't come to you because you need us. You don't need us. You are not served by human hands as though you needed anything, but you give life and breath and everything, including this prayer this moment. Father, you are the fountain, and we are thirsty. You are the bread, and we are hungry. You are the wisdom, And we are the foolish ones. You are the strong one and we are the weak ones. You are righteous. We are sinful and guilty. That is why we come. And that is the way we come. Father, we take refuge in your grace, in your righteousness, in your son. We don't ask anything this morning because of our merit. So for his sake, because of his blood, Father... Help us. Deliver us, O Lord. Deliver us from our bondage, from our sins. Father, we've been living for so long and we're really struggling. We don't have the strength, but Father, because of Christ and what He has done for us, Father, we have hope. So Father, we look to Jesus Christ this morning. Father, it grieves our hearts this morning that we are so slow to live in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us and to live like how we ought to live as your children. And Father, we are sorry for that. So Father, would you open our hearts this morning? Father, help us to break the addictions to worldly pleasures and the sinful responses and the way we look at our brothers and sisters. We often condemn them. We judge them. We criticize people around us. 
It's because our hearts are so sinful. We care so much about us. We are full of ourselves. Father, give us the spirit of self-denial. Let us deny ourselves, Lord. Let us put Christ in our place so that when we look at our brothers, we will look at them how you looked at them. That we will love them instead of condemning them. Help us, O Lord. Help us. Give us, O God, the fruit of self-control. Give us a heart, uh, the, the fruit of just patience, slow to anger. Father, let these verses not just be verses we know in our, in our heads, Father, but let this be a day-to-day prayer to you. Because we know that we really don't have the strength, only you can give us the strength. So Father, we come to you with a humble heart, in meekness. Because you are our Father and we are not God, you are God. And we know that we don't want to be entangled by the sins. Father, we are tired. We are tired of living in sin. We need your help. So Father, we come to you this morning hoping that you will help us, that you will help us, that you will deliver us. Father, show mercy on us, Lord. Show mercy on us. Save us for your name's sake, Lord. Father, fill us with the power of the Spirit that when we go out today, we will take care of our sins. We will be followers that you ought us to be. Help us, Lord, Father. We give you thanks. We pray this prayer through your Son and our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen.